This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Launchpad on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Launchpad here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Rob Cunningbeer, a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures, a leading venture capital firm where we focus on investing in early stage technology companies. So my guest for today, joining me from Europe via Zoom, is Eric Min. He is the co-founder and CEO at Zwift, which is an online virtual community focused on cyclists, runners, and hopefully rowers before long. Eric, Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Rob. So Zwift is one of those companies that I think uh, the, the people that know it know it well, and the people that don't know it will know it. It's pretty impressive, Eric. You raised a $450 million Series C round that was announced in September, led by KKR, and you did it amidst the pandemic. And my sense is, without having heard the statistics, that it was based on uh, a lot of user love, a lot of user growth, revenue growth, et cetera. Um, but I, I would love to just start out for listeners, the people that haven't heard about Zwift, what, what is Zwift? And, and before you do that, I'd like to just point out up front, Shasta is a, a small investor in Zwift. Just want to make sure we disclose that. But uh, so, so, Eric, uh, could you describe yeah. Zwift? Yeah, Zwift is this virtual place where, you know, cyclists and, you know, of varying types, competitive to enthusiasts to recreational, um, can congregate in, a, in, a, in this virtual setting uh, where we, you know, create interesting worlds, both real and fictitious. Um, and we expect all of the, the social aspects that happen in the real world to take place in this virtual setting, whether it's... Um, you know, training, whether it's competition, whether it's exploring, um, just meeting random people. This is what you do um, when you ride outdoors. It was, it, that was really the, the simple, simple idea. And what we wanted to solve for is convenience at the end of the day. You know, all of us enjoy cycling. If you're a cyclist, you love um, to ride outdoors, but you know, weather doesn't cooperate or, you know, doing it socially with your friends is not so convenient. And so take all those barriers away and do it from the comfort of your home. If we can just get to, you know, replicate some of those experiences, you know, 80, 75, 80%, I think would be good enough. That was the idea. And of course, the whole mission behind all of this is to just con convince people to be active, right? Lead active lifestyles. Um, so our motto was, um, uh, is just really to encourage and motivate and addict individuals to keep coming back for more. Um, so as a business, we thought, wow, if we can encourage people to stay active, stay connected socially, make it super convenient, um, we thought we'd be doing something really uh, socially impactful and we could probably turn it into a very successful business. So we thought, yeah, let's well, just give it a go. Yeah, yeah well, it's, it's pretty remarkable. When you go into Zwift for the first time, you realize that there really are other humans in there. So you go in and it has a bit of a cartoon theme to it, but it's very much a Zwift theme. It, it's, it's interesting how it's it's really built into a look and a feel that's very uh, Zwifty. Uh, but when you go in and for anybody that has ridden a road bike, there's this dynamic that happens when you either catch somebody else or they yeah. catch you where impromptu races start or people they're almost a little passive aggressive where they just start to go a little faster. And I remember that experience when I first tried Zwift a very long time ago, there was something that was in the human element that I felt had been missing when I'd been using other cycling platforms. I had tried three or four other spin bikes. I had actually uh, tried one from the, the, the big giant Peloton. And mm -hmm. in fact, it was Peloton that drove me to look for Zwift because when I was doing the free rides that they had, it was just some guy who was taking videos, maybe on a golf cart or something <laughs> when he was driving through beautiful places. So I'd pedal faster and nothing would go faster. I'd slow down, it right. wouldn't slow down. So it was just tremendously frustrating. Yeah, I mean, this is why we chose very early on to use a 3D gaming environment rather than video, which is largely static. Um, and it's not 
Um, it's very predictable. And Zwift is very unpredictable because every time you ride on Zwift, you're seeing lots of different you know, uh, uh, people, you are doing different kinds of events. Uh, you may even experience different weather during your session. So that dynamic experience is what makes it you know, fresh, even though we have limited worlds that you can, you can explore. Um, it's about immersion. And I think we've got, we have many opportunities to, to make it even more immersive. And this is where um, our you know, interest and investment in hardware is so important. We need to marry the, the core experience with hardware to give you that full immersive ex, you know, experience that you know, we don't have today. And this is the exciting thing about where Zwift could be in the future. Yeah, well, it's, it's pretty interesting. There, there is definitely, at least when I started using Zwift, I think three or four years ago, you, you may not know this, but a journalist introduced me to it. There's uh, a journalist that I'm friends with, Reed Albergati, who used to be at the Wall Street Journal and now yeah. he's with the Washington Post, avid cyclist, and uh, enough so that he wrote a book on Lance Armstrong um, about some of the things that Lance Armstrong was doing that, that the public didn't believe was true, but it was true. Um, but anyways, Reed walked me through it. And I have to say, it's, it's a really interesting thing where Zwift is amazing once you get into it, but it's kind of the initial bar to get into it is somewhat challenging. So I remember this conversation with, Zwift, with, with Reed about Zwift. He's like, Zwift is amazing. You're gonna love it. Uh, so you take your bike and you get this thing called a power trainer and you get it from Wahoo and it's a kicker. And then you hook it up using ANT and then you put your laptop out and you do these things. So, you know, it's, it's evolved to a much more seamless experience, but I'm curious how you think about the, the trade-off between this really amazing experience when you get it. So it really is one of these yeah. wow moments when you get into Zwift, but the barrier to get into it is higher than most consumer experiences. That's right. And that's, that's a big theme for us to solve for. Um, uh, it, we, consumers are expecting a very simple integrated experience, including the purchase experience. And that is not the case today, if I have to be honest with you. Um, it's actually shocking how many people show up at Zwift given that you know, there is you know, fair amount of friction to get on there. And, but I think it's the power of the community. It's, it's Reed telling you what you need to buy and how do you, you know, and talking to you about that experience. It's that word of mouth and the support you get from your community and friends is how we've really you know, addressed some of these issues. Of course, that's not enough. And this is why the investment into hardware is so important for Zwift. Because as we start reaching out to that broader uh, audience, they just don't have the, the network or they don't have the, the patience more than anything else. Um, and so we need to deliver it really as an integrated uh, you know, solution. And this is part of what our investment is. So when should we see a, a Zwift bike yeah. or a Zwift treadmill or any of, any of these Zwift things? You've, you've, you've yeah. brought it up a couple of times and so now I have to yeah. ask. Right. No, it's a fair question. Um, we've started the investment. Uh, hardware is hard. You've heard that before. It takes time. Um, you don't want to uh, produce a product that isn't you know, reliable. Um, but for us, what's the point of just coming out with a product that is a me too? If we're going to come out with our product, it's going to be the best and we're going to sell at scale. Otherwise, I don't even want to be in the business. So that's, that is that just takes time and planning and execution to get it right. And I don't have a date for you, but I can tell you that we've got a team, you know, actively working on this now. Yeah, and for people that aren't familiar with Zwift, one other thing that I would mention is a big part of road biking is climbing. And you really have this experience of climbing that's in there. So you have to shift gears when you're on the bike. So you actually have a lot of interaction with the hardware when you're doing this. And there's a couple of options that people have. Maybe you have just a, what's called a Wahoo kicker bike that looks like a bike, but you just climb on it and it just connects pretty seamlessly to Zwift on Apple TV. Or you can put something that connects to your uh, rear chain of your, your bike and gives you the same experience of it being a lot harder to go uphill, go downhill. Um, but what, what I was curious about is 
At what point did you realize it was starting to grow? And you haven't mentioned statistics, but one of the statistics I've seen online is 2.5 million accounts in Zwift across 190 countries. When you're using Zwift, it's, it's pretty surprising how many people you run into any time of day because people are clearly coming into Zwift from around the world. I'm curious, how do you, you know, what was it like in the very early days of Zwift? Yeah. Did you have like, five buddies and you were working on a <laughs> server and you had kind of some sort of janky prototype or what, what was it like in those first uh, like five absolutely. workouts on Zwift? Yeah, when we uh, went into a beta program, no, maybe it was slightly before the beta program, we literally had a machine in, our, in one of our homes that was running the server. It, it's it's the, the classic example of like a Oh, startup. like a Linux, <laughs> Linux box or something? No, with... it was, it, it was a, it might've been just a PC, like literally one box running the whole, the whole environment. Um, but what we started with was just a, a small five uh, kilometer or three mile circuit. And we picked an island in this South Pacific. And we just created a simple circuit. It, it had a, a, a nice little terrain, had a small hill. And when we created it, we tried it. And I said to my partner, um, John Mayfield, who is the really the developer behind uh, Zwift. I said, John, this is not fun. What are we doing? Just riding around in circles. <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I said, we've got to fix this. I said to, and I remember this, I said to him, okay, let's do this. Let's create three competitions on every lab. Let's have a jersey for KOM, King of the Mountain. Let's have a sprint, you know, a 250 meter or 300 meter sprint. And then let's have a jersey for the fastest lap, the hot laps. And let people compete for it every time they show up on it. That's the only thing we had. And you wouldn't believe how popular it was. People would show up and try to chase for these jerseys. And people were swapping jerseys because they were competing for it and setting PRs. And that was the first, I would say, gamification feature we, we added to, to Zwift. And that was quite fun. Um, it didn't take very much for us to you know, figure out, OK, what is it that the community really want? Because the community started to create tools outside the platform. They were organizing events and racing leagues, all in a spreadsheet and using Facebook as a forum to, to congregate, you know, coordinate. Well, let me, um, let me dig were... into that because you can't understate this. It's, it's a huge part of Zwift today. There's Zwift Insider, there's all these other things. Yeah. But I'm, I'm curious, where were you and John physically when you were working on this? Was this in the UK or elsewhere in the world? Yeah, so uh, I was in London. I was based in London, I still am. Um, he's based in Orange County. So we set up an office in, uh, in Long Beach and we're still there. That's where our headquarters is. Um, I have another partner who is in New York and my fourth partner who is also um, in, in LA. So we have the development team based out of California and um, I was setting up a marketing team out of, out of London actually, thinking that this was gonna be a global business. Um, yeah, which, and one of the things that's interesting I've noticed over time in my time in venture capital is investment bankers love cycling. And <laughs> and you, you have an investment banking background, I believe, JP Morgan, and then you started a company that I believe was building technology for, for yeah. banks. And then you kind of moved into this, um, this consumer world. I'm, I'm curious, what drove you to make that switch? Because most investment bankers that I know that are successful, they kind of retire and they just ride their bikes or they do stuff like that and serve on boards. So I'm curious what yeah. that original drive to do, was it more of an experiment and then it grew yeah. or was it just a drive to do this? So um, we built trading systems for um, hedge funds and banks and insurance companies, as well as large commodities and, and gas and um, gas and power company. Uh, so when we exited that business and my partner Alaric and I, um, I said to him, you know, we're, we're not employable anymore. Like we, <laughs> we've been, we've been on our own for so long. I don't think I can handle a boss. <laughs> I can handle a board. I can handle investors, but I already have a boss at home. Right. I, I'm not sure I can have two. <laughs> so I said, I think I have to start another company. And, and you know, we, that first startup we had, we had it for over a decade. It was, you know, it was reasonably successful. 
And I said, you know, we were probably lucky and maybe, maybe that's all it was, but what if we could do it one more time? And if it worked, then we can say to ourselves, it's not luck. There's something well, what about- What the heck, our, let's go from enterprise to consumer. Exactly, and the <laughs> enterprise, you know, you know how enterprise sales is. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time on the client facing side and trying to close some of these enterprise deals took over a year. And, I, and, and you know, one big client losing them could kill your business. So I said to, I said to my partner, Alaric at the time, I said, look, why don't we just get into this consumer business? What we love about our other business was that it was a SaaS business, right? It was a subscription business, right? Mm. It was, um, it was te technology related. Um, it was global. And I like that. So let's stick to that, you know, those pillars and go and try to solve a problem. So I actually looked at healthcare, education, um, even hospitality. And I'd stayed away from cycling as much as possible because it's just too close to my passion and hobby. So I said, you know, yeah. no one makes money with your hobby. <laughs> I stayed away from it. Yeah, but, but you're also, you're, you're still riding though, right? You're still riding through yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the British countryside. Okay. So you're thinking about these I'm things. Still... That's right. And, uh, and so really it's because, and my brother who's an investor and he's a private equity guy said, what do you know about education or, or medicine or healthcare or any of these other things? <laughs> I said, don't waste your time, focus on the thing that you actually have some expertise in. And I said, well, I'm not gonna build another trading system. That's what I said. And I said, I actually do know a lot about cycling. So I thought, okay, what can I solve in cycling? So actually the first thing was how can I scale um, um, tourism, you know, scale that using a digital platform and the math just didn't work. So then the other thing that I realized was like, I'm riding indoors a lot in London because the weather is, you know, is terrible most of the time. Traffic yeah, is kind of dark horrible. in the winter, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm riding indoors. I'm like, this experience really sucks. And I've tried everything just like you, right? All the different platforms. And you're just desperate for different kinds of content just to grab at you and nothing did. So I said, you know, what if, what if I, we can create an experience that just did a few things that we all love about outdoor cycling? And the most important thing is the social connection. And it, it's, it's not that you need to be a social butterfly, but you need to feel like you're around people. You, you, it's about social density. It's about a communal experience. And so even though there are many cyclists, many Zwifters who show up, they don't interact with anyone. But what they like and enjoy is that there are other people there. It's the reason why I love London and New York. I don't stop people on the street to have a chat, but I like being around other people. And it's no well, different in a digital setting. <laughs> yeah, no, I wanna, I wanna dig into this, but for people that are just tuning in, I'm Rob Conivier, and you're listening to Launchpad on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio. I am on Zoom right now with Eric Min, the founder and CEO of Zwift. So this, this community thing is very interesting. I think the other observation I'd have, at least from where I sit, is that given that you were building these trading systems for hedge funds, et cetera, you must have had a pretty good idea of how to hire people that could build things at scale that would be reliable because you would just lose jobs, et cetera. So when people think about these things and then they look at somebody like you that made this kind of ginormous pivot from being in the banking world and the hedge fund world building technology enterprise long sales cycle to a consumer, a loved consumer brand with a strong community, et cetera. You did pivot around some very strong skills that you had. So you had a kind of an area that you understood really well, cycling, mm -hmm. and uh, also you had kind of this scale you could build. What, what I'm kind of particularly curious about is you, you mentioned this community and I, I think about this community on one hand, it's very social. On the other hand, it's very competitive because you want to meet people and then you want to crush them, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> so, but you can draft, you can do that. There are a lot of cooperative things you can do, but when you were getting started and you were playing around with it, did the community really just emerge on its own? Uh, you, you have Eric Schlang, 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 um, yeah. with, Schlang with Zwift Insider, et cetera. Where did these people come from and how did this happen? I think it probably started with us posting on Strava. So the first thing we did was made sure that once your activity is done, 
posted to Strava. And you would be surprised at how many people reach out to me like, what are you doing in the South Pacific? Are you on holiday? <laughs> and oh, yeah. It wasn't just me. It was a lot of people. Right? And I think it was uh, that that one map um, had the most number of um, uh, activities on Strava, the segment. So because that's all we had was a, a three mile course. Um, and so I just Strava, being funny and then you posted it on Strava, you you you. you did that and then you're like oh wow this is one of the things that we should do that's going to build community so i knew strava uh was going to be instrumental in in the growth of our business through word of mouth and um and in fact before i started the business i met with the co-founders of strava and i wanted to make sure that we would be aligned in terms of partnership and what we had to offer what you know what we were building and what they had to offer and that, that it was very synergistic. Um, so that in, that meeting with um, um, with the co-founders of Strava was, was a very important one. That was really uh, the meeting that, that convinced me we should definitely move forward with this business. Was that with um, Horvath? No, it was with Mark Ganey. Horvath uh, was at the time the chairman. Um, so I met with Mark Ganey, who was the active CEO at the time. Um, so it's quite funny how we've, I mean, he, they remember me when it was just a concept. Um, yeah. And for and people so, that aren't familiar with Strava, it's just this unbelievably popular online kind of fitness community where you can just post everything you're doing. One thing I want to ask about that, since you brought that up is when I have my Zwift segments posted to Strava, when I'm riding through Central Park in, on Zwift, it actually posts New York City as opposed to Zwift New York City. And I was curious how you optimize, if you optimize what gets posted to enhance conversions, or is it more about something else? Is there something else you're optimizing for? You mean the actual posting of the activities? Exactly. I mean, I mean all we're trying to do, and this is what everyone wants to do, is, is share their activities for the most part, right? So, and we want to make that very seamless. And what those activities allow us to do is just to, you know, I think help help promote um, Zwift in many ways. And I think what we do for Strava is to give them engagement, which is super important. And so it's a very natural partnership that we have with with uh, with um, Strava. And I can give you another data point. We had the Festive 500. Well, Rafa hosts the Festive 500 every year which is between Christmas, um, uh, Christmas and New Year's, you have to do 500 kilometers. Um, <laughs> this past year, right? I, yeah. That's I don't, quite I a don't, long ways over it the is, course it of is. less than a week. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And uh, historically, it's all done outdoors. But this was the first year that Rafa said we should do it also virtually, especially given the current circumstances. 25% of the Festive 500 activities were done on Zwift. Wow, uh, that's a that's, that's quite a lot. You think about how many people actually do Festa 500. Um, so it's interesting to see behavioral changes within the cycling industry. And and I, you know, I am a I'm an old. I've been in cycling since uh, since the 80s. So I'm like one of the older generation cyclists. Um, and you know, all many of them are, you know, on Zwift. And um, but they they know what indoor cycling used to be like 10, you know, 15 years ago, which was a horrible experience, in my opinion. And so when you start onboarding new customers, new cyclists, they're being introduced into this world of cycling. But so it's, it's not only outdoors, there's indoor activities and they're very complementary. And so we're starting to, to see that. And these are the behavioral changes that um, is, is starting to change the, the industry and how, what people buy example is like I've, I've been told by the ceo of asos which is a you know high brand um you know a brand very high-end brand of, of cycling clothing that they sell they've never sold so many summer shorts during the winter time oh that's fascinating <laughs> yeah. yeah well i mean it yeah i mean we're in a, in a couple minutes we're going to need to take a break and in in the second half i definitely want to talk about the pandemic and like where is the future of fitness going but i did want to come full circle or around to eric and the the other eric and zwift insider how did that get started 
how did how did that become something that he did? That he did? He is probably one of uh, dozens of community uh, contributors. I mean, it's they're just passionate people. They want to share, um, and he has a very very popular uh, website that. Uh, I, I direct many customers to his website because he is just on top of the content. He's producing two or three pieces of content every day. And he has an army of people who are also helping with the contribution. It's just uh, the, the traffic that they get is, in, is incredible. Um, but there are people like him uh, who just love being part of the community and serving the community. And um, just an incredible resource for for the community. And some and just for full transparency, there was a time when Eric said, "Look, this is I can't do this anymore. I can't do this and hold down a job." And so he actually, I hope Eric doesn't mind me telling him that he asked me at the time. It was called Zwift Blogs. He said, "Do you want to take it over?" I said, "No, I don't want to take it over. But why don't we do this? Why don't we call it Zwift Insider, and we'll just support you." So that you you know you can you can keep the servers up. In fact, we finance it so that um, so, you know support him financially, so he can go and hire people to create content because it it is more than a full time job. Yeah, I mean it's it's amazing how much content's there and the SEO they have. Maybe it's just from all the content and the traffic, and it just naturally works. But when you go to look yeah. for Zwift, often you find Zwift Insider before you find Zwift.com or getswift.com or whatever the URL is that you use. It's it's amazing. He's done such a good job for for the community and for and for Swift. Um, so we want to continue to support Eric. Well, we're going to need to take a short break here. I'm Rob Conybeer. This is Launchpad on Business Radio. I am talking on Zoom with Eric uh, Eric Min, the co-founder or founder and CEO of Swift. We'll be right back. You're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio. Welcome back to Launchpad on SiriusXM's Business Radio. I'm Rob Conybeer, a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures, where we focus on investing in early stage companies. So for this half hour, I'm continuing my discussion with Eric Min. He is the founder and CEO of Zwift, and we're on Zoom. He's in London, I'm in Seattle, and his company is based in Orange County. So. This is a time right now with the pandemic, I think where community is more important than ever. And I do wanna talk about the pandemic a bit, but one thing that I wanted to come back to is your relationship with the community that you have. And for people that have been with Zwift for years, they've seen the number of virtual worlds that you have and basically the content increased pretty dramatically over that time frame. And what I'm curious about is when you add either features like steering on the bikes or other things, how much input do you take from the community? And then how much does it come from just Eric and some of the product people at Swift saying, hey, we're just going to go do this uh, and just kind of work on it in a secret way. I'm just curious how the ideas go from concept yeah. to getting into the Swift world. Yeah, no, it's a good question. I'd say there is no shortage of great ideas coming from all parts of the community and internally. Um, the challenge for us is just prioritizing and, you know, and trying to make sure whatever features we add serve the broadest community. Um, so of course, when you do that, you, you might alienate certain parts of the community, whether it's, you know, the hardcore bike racers or you know, the serious triathlete um, and so this is, uh, I, I would say historically, we've probably been less um, disciplined about it. And going forward, uh, we have to be far more disciplined about it and, and let the data help us drive what those um, priorities are. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy, right? Because there's, there's a lot of work that we need to do behind the scenes. Uh, these are infrastructure work, foundational work that the customers may not see. But these are these are changes that just help us to you know add more features um, faster. Uh, so it's just balancing across um, the behind the scenes work, all the content, and all the gamification, the features that you know we, that excite customers. Uh, it's a tough job, and we recently hired a, a chief product officer to help us manage that. Um, and um, but I think we're going back to 
basics. And we we were, you know, our community is massive, um, and it's it's uh, in the early days it was a fairly manageable community. Now it's a it's quite large. Um, we're going back to basics. We've got a team that's we've assembled, reconnecting with with the largest uh, influencers and community leaders, and really taking into you know um, uh, into account their feedback about what's working, what's not working, and really trying to. Um, build tools for them because Zwift in many ways is um, unlike other platforms it's it's a it's a it's a platform we allow communities to organize themselves and there is a, a lot of scope for us to create tools so that we're not at the bottleneck that that's so where we, I guess in in a lot of ways you can kind of learn from Minecraft and maybe we talk about that kind of thinking a little bit but rowing yeah. is an interesting example, I I I've got to believe in terms of whether you add support or don't add support, because I've seen on the forums where Eric has gone in, like people <laughs> referring to you, because you have a lot of people that follow you on Zwift and, and, and Strava, but Eric has hooked up his rowing machine and he's using it as a bike when he's out riding right now. So there are clearly things like that. And what I, what I find interesting about that is people have built these videos where they're going over the water that goes around Watopia, this this imaginary world that you have down in the South Pacific with all these um, these places you can ride, where they go by like the spruce goose and they go under bridges and they go past the volcano and they do that. I just wonder where the heck they got this footage. Who had the time to do that? <laughs> and as a capitalist, I look at this and I say, hey, I enjoy rowing, but is that anywhere near as big as cycling? Is it anywhere near as important as cycling? Right. And the way that it gets handled through this community interaction, it almost kind of brings hope to people that love rowing and they want to have rowing in Zwift. But at the right. same time, you're kind of maintaining this air of mystery and engagement with people that like to row while still, you know, this is my guess, thinking about like, what features do we need to add to cycling? And do we add more worlds? And do we add more uh, places that I can go in New York versus London versus, um, you know, other, other areas? Yeah, no, look, I, I, it's no secret that I've, I've told the community that rowing is, is an important um, activity that we can see uh, within Zwift. It's just a question of priority and timing. Um, uh, it's certainly not as big as this, the world of cycling and, and what that means from a community and from a business perspective, but I see that happening eventually. Um, so it's always a challenge and I, I tend to get in trouble with my own team by probably sharing more than I should. <laughs> um, but that's just me being enthusiastic about what exactly the community is enthusiastic about, all the possibilities of what yeah. we could do on, on Zwift. Well, I mean, and, it, it adds an authenticity to what you're doing and yeah. uh, playfulness. And I think at some point, if you become corporate, then it loses a lot of that authenticity and that engagement that really yeah. drives growth. So. Um, I think we all remember where we were about a year ago when we were all wondering with this news coming out of China um, about the, the COVID pandemic. And I'm curious about how it, you know, just at a high level, how it impacted Zwift. And when you realized it would probably um, drive a lot of engagement and growth for the platform. Um, so when the pandemic hit, I remember telling everyone, don't go, go back into the office. That was, uh, I think, early March or end of February. And we weren't really thinking about how this was going to affect the business. Um, so uh, yeah, just didn't realize. Of course, what happened over the next month is that everyone showed up. Uh, it, it was just incredible how many people showed up and they weren't showing up to just train or to compete. They were showing up and this is like data that we've collected. They were showing up to connect with other people because the, the feature um, called meetups where you can have private gatherings where you can take over a map and do that with your friends, compete or, or train together or just ride together. That feature went you know, up by 10X during that period. And anecdotally people were saying, yeah, my, my casual Thursday social ride, we all decided to come to Zwift together to continue that experience from the home because uh, there was no other way to interact with, uh, with, with one another. 
So we had just an incredible um, inf influx of, of customers, um, both very competitive, but also very soft, like very, not soft, but recreational. Um, these were not the, the hardcore cyclists. These were the very recreational cyclists who were just showing up for that social connection. So that was something that we weren't expecting. And so we saw a pretty big um, influx of people coming in through, through April. And we, I don't think anyone knew what would happen the rest of the summer. But obviously, you know, the lockdown and, and um, you know, uh, discouraging, discouraging group gatherings, even for those who are cycling, uh, definitely changed behavior. And, we, and I think what happened, the, the benefit to Zwift as a business was like more people tried Zwift um, during this period. And our growth was literally limited by the, the hardware that you could um, uh, acquire during this period. I mean, I, you know, everyone was sold out. The, the wait list for the smart trainer that you need to get into Zwift or that connect to your bike, um, which it was just impossible to get a hold of. And of course they had issues because manufacturing was slowing down in Asia. So we had this huge backlog of pent up demand and people not being able to get onto the platform. This is just one example, but I'm sure this is true for many other, um, you know, at home fitness experiences and hardware companies. Um, how, did it, how did the pandemic change your prioritization of what to work on, what to release, how to build the company? Right. No, that's a, that's a really good question. So when the pandemic hit, we said we need to do something for the, compu uh, the, the community to um, acknowledge that something, something is happening in this world. So we created a, a, something called the Tour for All. And we got ES, uh, not ESPN, sorry, um, um, Eurosport interested in um, us hosting like an exhibition race among world tour riders, all of the, the best professional teams out there who, who could no longer race because there were no races to, to compete in. So they decided as a charity event, come to the platform and compete with one another, which we would broadcast and raise money for, for charity. So we did that, um, just very short notice. And, and, and of course we invited the community to take part in, I think it was like five days, uh, five stage tour, uh, which was really popular. And it was on the back well, so they of could that. Come in and ride next yeah. to these pro athletes. For training, but then for the competition, which was on broadcast TV, for that, no. That was just a viewing experience for, for the rest of us. But it was the, the success of the Tour for All that piqued the interest of the, uh, the promoter of the Tour de France, the owner of the Tour de France ASO. And we started talking about, well, what if, like, sounds like the virtual Tour de France, the Tour de France is going to be delayed, potentially canceled. So we talked about, well, why don't we create a larger version of Tour for All, uh, call it the virtual Tour de France, all about creating awareness uh, and supporting charities. So all of the Tour de France teams took part, um, just about all wow. of them, like 99% of them. And we were, uh, it was broadcast to 120 different countries around the world. And so that was a pretty exciting moment. So if you talk about like, how did change Zwift? We were very busy making sure that we had everything that we needed to deliver a successful virtual Tour de France that was going to be showcased during a period when no other sports events were happening. Yeah, it's um, remarkable. And, and it's because of the community you had built up over time and the tech you'd build up to be able to build those stages, I guess, pretty quickly. That's right. To be able I to support the, that. I mean, the infrastructure that we've built over the years to support the scale. Um, and if you, if you ask me like, what was the most important thing when we saw everyone coming, the most important thing is making sure the light stayed on. <laughs> that everyone could get <laughs> Going there. back to the trading days. Huh? The yeah, trading like, make stuff. sure the platform you know, Zwift is accessible for our customers 24 seven. That was the number one priority. Forget about all the features, make sure that, you know, everything just runs smoothly. Um, and we're doing difference. Yeah. yeah. And one, one thing I'm yeah. curious about, so you have uh, pros and people that are really avid cyclists using it. Uh, one thing is, did the results mirror what would have likely happened in the real world or are there is there a way that people tend to optimize for more for, for an online community like Swift in terms of their results? 
Yeah, the results are different. I mean, if you're an incredibly fit athlete, um, you're going to do well in either you know, in the real world and, and Zwift. And uh, Ashley Moolman, who is a, a champion um, world tour uh, female cyclist, does win outside and win on Zwift. So you can do well in both environments. But I would say for, for the most, um, it's a specialist event. I don't know if you've heard of cyclocross. Um, they are you know, really intense one hour events. That mirrors what like a Zwift effort is. So if you're good at going really hard for one hour, um, then you'd probably do pretty well on, on Zwift. I think runners um, who can do like 10K races would probably do pretty well in, uh, yeah, on Zwift just because there's less skill involved at the moment. Um, it's really about Oh, at your, the moment, I like that. Okay. Yeah, at the moment, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, for it's but, but it, there's But experience does matter. Like you cannot just show up on Zwift. Even if you're a world-class, uh, you know, professional cyclist, you're not going to win your race because there are, there's definitely experience and timing and the subtleties of how to draft well versus not well and all the power-ups that you need to use and employ when you, you want to have an advantage. You need to know all those things. You need to practice those things in order to you know, maximize your performance on Zwift. So another thing that happened during the pandemic, be, besides your growth and engagement and, and this, is raising the $450 million during the year. And I'd love to hear how that came together and how that evolved over the course of the year from when you were telling your employees, stay home, be safe, let's get through this yeah. to holy cow, this is growing really fast. Yeah, you know, we decided to raise uh, capital a year earlier than planned and partly because of the pandemic and the, the, the market seemed um, favorable. So we said, let's just raise money now, enough now, so we never have to raise again. So that was sort of the attitude. Of course, what we didn't realize that, you know, in parallel, the business was actually scaling quite nicely. Um, but I've never, as an entrepreneur, I've never regretted raising too much money. <laughs> and the best <laughs> time, to, you know, and the best time to raise money is when you don't need it. Because we had a lot of capital already. Um, and so raise money when you don't need it is, is, is the advice I give to other entrepreneurs. Don't wait until you really need it, because that's when. So you how did those? Yeah. So how did those discussions happen? Had you already been talking to KKR, and at what point yeah. did it get rolling into a hey, here's what the price will be, here's how much you loan, here's how much we'll raise, sorts of discussions? Yeah, it's uh, we we did hire JP Morgan to help us facilitate the the process. Uh, of course, the people who came in with strong interest were the ones we already had you know, relationship with, but you need a process like that in order to derive, um, you know, the optimal price for, 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 for everyone, for us. And so that was, that was, that went pretty well. Um, and, um, you know, we're so fortunate to have our investors, uh, whether it's KKR, Highland Europe, and Novatar and others, they've been just incredibly, uh, the other one's Causeway Media, they've just been incredibly supportive of what we're doing. And, um, um, you know, I think we all agree that the opportunity is qu quite large and the market is huge. And we're just really at the beginning of uh, the journey for the, this kind of experience, along with other at home experience um, around fitness. It's a, it's a big theme that we're chasing. And I think the tailwind is um, will continue well beyond uh, COVID. Well, yeah, I think for the balance of the show, it makes sense to get into the, the future of fitness. But if you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Conivere, and you're listening to Launchpad on SiriusXM's Business Radio, Channel 132. And I am on Zoom right now with Eric Min, the founder and CEO of Swift. So I'm sure when a syndicate, a group of investors like you talked about, came in and invested uh, half a billion dollars into Swift they aren't just investing in where you are now, but it's also where the, the future of online fitness is headed. And I think anybody that's listening right now has heard about what's been happening with Peloton, where it has a 40 to $50 billion market cap and has grown like crazy. And then there's uh, other 
companies that are focusing on strength training, like Tonal that we were talking about a little bit before the show that do uh, connected strength training. And what, what I'm curious about is, where do you see all of this going in terms of whether I work at the gym, I go out for a, a ride outside, et cetera, where do you see this all going in five years, 10 years from now in terms of how people get stronger, work out, et cetera? Yeah, I think for, for many people, they are, and we see this within the community, everyone will want a fitness room in their home. It's going to be super important going forward. And I think um, more challenging in the cities, but certainly in, in areas where you can have the space, you're going to see that because, uh, you know, I think fitness from the home is just so convenient, so affordable, so social that uh, I would be concerned if I own studios or, or gyms. I think they're going to be hugely disrupted. Just the way, you know, movies, entertainment movies have been disrupted by the likes of Netflix. I mean, think about Blockbuster a long time ago, right? Um, think about gaming versus arcades. Think about the way we, you know, um, uh, eat. I mean, I, I do all my online shopping now for food. And I think what's last is, is fitness. So I think this is a huge category which has yet to be disrupted. We're, we're at the beginning of that. And so we're just betting on the whole category. And yeah, I think it's, it's many interesting because be successful. I, I, I can see that. I think these analogies are really interesting. You think about what's happened to movie theaters over time, they still exist, but they're nowhere near what they would have been like before the advent of the television and the VCR and all that. Arcades, gaming arcades are another great example. But for each of those, there's kind of a benefit. And what I think a lot of people miss with fitness is you can replicate and in fact improve a lot of the social experience, but you can also increase performance faster and yeah. it's not as boring. And one of the things I found is for, for, for Christmas, I sent my oldest son a, an old power trainer that I had and he got on Zwift and he lives in DC and he's been out riding but he got all into his whiff because he discovered these training programs where you go in and he's like, oh my God, like I was already fast, but now I'm using these training programs and they, they kick my butt, but I'm getting faster. And I'm, I'm curious, what is the data saying for what happens with a typical cyclist or an elite cyclist when they go in and they use your focus training programs and in their pain caves at home? Uh, are they getting better faster or what are you learning? Absolutely. They're getting faster. I mean, you, you could be, um, of course, you, you need to be structured if you're focused on performance, but let's be just clear. I don't want to get, I don't want to take the credit for it, but indoor cycling has been well known to be very efficient for training and for fitness, right? There's no secret. It's just, it was a horrible experience. All we've done is just made it more engaging, more interesting and, you know, gamified it and make you addicted to come back for more. So keeping you on the bike. Um, but I think going forward, if you are a competitive cyclist, you're going to be doing all your serious training indoors. And then you'll do your social rides, perhaps outdoors and do your competition outdoors. And so it's hard to beat an hour of focus, intense training, you know, because you have so many distractions outdoors and it's not safe, in fact, for most people to do the kind of intense training that you could do indoors. So there's plenty of evidence. And I think a lot of the world tour riders are, are using uh, Zwift for you know, very specific training, even for the recovery rides. Recovery rides, um, it's so easy to do on Zwift, an hour. I think I see plenty of uh, world tour riders training twice a day, once on Zwift, and then they go outdoors to do other specific training. Um, so it is, I think, changing how competitive cyclists are, are using Zwift uh, as, a, as a, a training tool. Um, and, um, and of course, that's just a very small segment of the market, right? The, the broader is, is market- there a, uh, Is there a Zwift score coming? So when you look at Tonal, they have a strength score. And when you look at Strava, they have the Suffer score. I think and they got rid of the Suffer score. Is there a Zwift score, score coming? You know, I would love for us to come up with that metric. Um, I think Strava does a very good job of saying, 
you know, what my effort was today relative to other efforts I've, I've done. Um, that is something that uh, we need to come up with something that is rifty and not simply a TSS score, which is a very technical term for, you know, the effort that you put in. Um, wait, 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 you mentioned a three letter abbreviation there. What is it, TSS score? Uh, actually, I don't know the exact meaning, but TSS is like the amount of effort you put into a, a workout. And that's a very common term uh, value that's being tracked by competitive cyclists and triathletes. Um, but uh, yes, we need to come up with our own Zwifty, you know, value for, you know, how you perform for the day. I think that is a nice feature for, for us to add, for sure. Well, I think talking about the idea that every home is going to have a fitness room, they can have that. I mean, we all have kitchens, we all have TV watching areas, et cetera. You can definitely see it coming. So it's a really interesting vision. I, I happen to buy into it as well. And I think you've painted a really interesting vision for just how big uh, this sort of fitness is going to be going forward. So Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Rob. And, and for people that want to follow you in particular, as well as Zwift, where should people go? Uh, you can follow me on Zwift. <laughs> you can follow me on Strava, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, I'm all over the place. <laughs> okay. So it sounds like it's easy to find. Really all they have to yes. do is Google Eric Min Zwift. <laughs> And they're going to Actually, find you. And my handle is uh, Work Dodger, which my wife hates. But <laughs> that's amazing. Well, Eric, thanks again for joining me today. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Rob. And also, thank you for joining us today. If you missed any of the last hour, you can find it on the SiriusXM app, and you can follow Business Radio on Twitter at SXM Business. And you can also follow me at Rob Cunningham. I'm Rob Connybeer, a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures, and you've been listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.